You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Elena. She led cross-industry working groups that also included the regulators on defining clinical trial estimates. And they published a practical guide for you and your team to develop that with a worked example on MDD. So stay tuned for this really, really good discussion with Elena. Estimates is such an important thing. And in this episode, you will learn about a practical guide for getting this on board. If you're interested more in this, I also have a course for that. There's the Effective Statistician Estimates course that I recorded together with Kaspar Rufelbach. Kaspar is a world-class expert and not only a good expert, he's an awesome presenter and trainer. He makes it really easy and understandable. And so if you're interested in learning more about this, head over to the Effective Statistician homepage, look for the courses and purchase this course. It will be surely really, really good. It is the one course that after the leadership program has the most subscriptions for in my overall academy. And so we have, as a recording of this, uh, end of August, already over 60 people in this. And we you know, literally just published this program. So have a look into it. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, much, much more. Head over to the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. And I'm really, really happy about the topics that we are talking about today. And I'm really happy to have Elena on the call to talk about this important topic. Hi, Elena, how are you doing? Hi, Alexander. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Very good. Before we go into the topic itself, for those who don't know you, maybe you can quickly introduce yourself. Sure. My pleasure. Again, thank you again for for uh, inviting me to be part of this episode. So my name is Elena Polverejan, uh, and I work at Janssen R&D. These are the pharmaceutical companies of Janssen & Janssen. And I'm in my 20th year at J&J. Um, I am currently scientific director in the statistical modeling and methodology group. That's a group in the statistical decision sciences, statistical statistics and decision sciences. And I am based in New Jersey, USA, um, 
With regard to my research work, I am mostly focused on estimates, missing data methodology, and their implementation clinical trials. I am the lean of our internal working group on estimates and missing data, and I'm also the co-chair of, of a working group that we'll be talking about, and that's an estimates and missing data working group of the International Society for CNS, Clinical Trials and Methodology, and CNS standing for Central Nervous System. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yep. That, that area is actually very, very close to my heart. I've been working yeah. with NCNS for, for many years on pain, on schizophrenia, on ADHD, on uh, anxiety, and also on depression. And that's hey. the topics that we are talking about today. And I remember when I was working on this, it was quite before the time of estimates. There was a lot of debate about should we use LOCF or should we use MMRM or should we use to observe cases and all these kind of different things. And everybody had a different kind of favorite topic and lots of, you know, arguments about that. And uh, that was, you know, in hindsight with the estimate framework, of course, a pretty stupid discussion to have whether one is better or the other. So it's really great that we have this episode today. So, but before we go into uh, your case study, let's talk about your perception about where we are with the adoption of the Estimon framework, given that it's, you know, got published a couple of years ago. You are, you know, leading these efforts within J&J, one of the biggest pharma companies. And of course, you also have with your long experience, a good oversight of what's happening across the industry, I guess. So I really welcome your thoughts on where we are with that. Yeah. Thank you. So first of all, the Eskimon framework, it's a great framework. And I have not seen a single case study in which it was not useful when implemented. Um, however, the widespread implementation in of the estimate framework, you know, when defining estimates or reporting estimates, is still in progress across clinical trials. And also, we can consider that the engagement, the non-statistical functions, is also in progress. Mm -hmm. We are always on the lookout for case studies. You know, they are really well sought after especially case studies with documented clinical and regulatory feedback. And also what will be very useful and we are trying to achieve is a well-defined process to follow when implementing this. Starting from A, going to Z, knowing and having very clear steps to follow when implementing, like kind of almost like following a template, I think would also be helpful when implementing this process. But overall, it's still in progress. It's happening across trials, across therapeutic areas, but it's still in progress. Yeah, completely agree. We have, as a statistics community, quite a lot to do to drive this change. And as you said, case studies, learning from others how they implemented it, knowing what are all the different steps that you need to go through, what are the different pitfalls is really, really important. And so this is exactly what we will talk about today in this episode. You already mentioned that case studies are really helpful because then you can, you know, 
if you work, for example, in depression, you can <laughs> more or less kind of directly take it. Or if you work in a you know, related area that has similar needs, let's say anxiety or other affective disorders, or probably lots of different psychiatric disorders that have similar designs, similar kind of studies, similar problems in terms of you know, missing data, all these that kind of different things, you can probably learn and adopt from it quite a lot. When you started, how did you actually get started in terms of discussing this framework about depression? Yes. Well, first we had to decide that it was depression, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the main goal of the estimates and missing data working group of ISCTM was indeed to provide examples, examples that are relevant across many disease areas. We didn't mm -hmm. think that our main goal is to study necessarily depression and the depression setups. We just use it placeholder for having meaningful discussions about the estimate framework in general. Mm -hmm. Why did we choose depression? I want, maybe I should go there or maybe mm -hmm. not yep. yet. Yep. Yes, we have chosen because it's a disease area from which we can learn lots of things. And as you have mentioned before, it can be really expanded and it can be related to many other disease areas. Definitely it's prevalent and it's well studied. It has some widely accepted endpoints. So definitely we don't have have discussions yep. about what's accepted and is not. However, it's a very complex indication to pursue. It has many challenges. Uh, one, for example, being high treatment dropout rates, right? So we have to deal with this intercurrent event. Also in the MDD setups, there are many types of settings and of the trials. You need to show short-term efficacy, but in the same times, you also have to show maintenance effect, like long-term effect. And also many of the intercurrent events that you see here, as I mentioned, treatment discontinuations are also relevant to many other types of disease areas. Like, for example, starting other type of treatments for MDD, right? It's a relevant intercurrent event in many other disease areas, starting other types of treatment for that indication. Right? Yep. Also, MDD allows for many types of endpoints and discussions. Uh, Short-term depression trials use continuous endpoints, severity scale for, for depression. Long-term ones use a time to relapse, so a time to event. Mm -hmm. The responder analysis are also important. So some type of composite binary endpoints also appear of, of some of the estimates. So overall, it was really a good area. And also many of the members of the working group which were more like half-half statisticians and half-clinicians. And I think that was one of the strengths of our working group, had expertise in this area. So we thought that's, that's a great area to start discussing and to make it as broadly as possible and applicable as possible to many disease areas. For those who are not so familiar with depression studies, so short-term studies, usually kind of acute studies where patients have a depressive episode, then get onto placebo or the active compound. Placebo usually has a pretty high effect in this area. And yeah. um, 
then you need to show that you're superior to placebo. The other area is kind of relapse prevention studies is usually that all the patients are put on active treatment and then only those that respond and reach a certain threshold re-randomized to receive either placebo or continue on, on the same medication. So yeah, you have both these kind of randomized withdrawal studies as well as these typical kind of two, three arm cohort studies at the beginning. Indeed, so, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah, and also you can have monotherapy studies or adjunctive therapy studies in which you will study the treatment plus another yeah. you know, widely available treatment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good. You also have these sometimes these kind of step through trials where you first go for one medication and then for the next medication and and these kind of things. So yeah, lots of lots of different areas. You started to have this discussion uh, not just within your company, but with this association. How did that initiate it? Um, the discussion on of having this IFTTM working group, yeah, right? Yeah. Yes. This is a working group that has started under the IACTM umbrella. Actually, it I have co-founded this working group together with my colleague, Pilar Lim, in 2017. This is, at that time, the draft addendum appeared. We are interested in the estimate framework. And in 2016, we just had session on missing data, one of the fall conferences of ISCTM. At that time, we recognized the need for multidisciplinary collaboration. Mm. While it is a statistical guidance, right, this ICH9R1 addendum, we cannot implement it without clinical collaborations with other functions, specifically clinical colleagues, but not only, right? Regulatory, and we can go in, in other functions too. So we decided to start having these conversations. So the whole thing started in 2017. And actually, I like to definitely recognize the contributions of, of my colleague, Pilar Lim, who unfortunately passed away early this year. And we have wonderful collaborations. She had the wonderful insight into what this working group can do. And I think we have learned and we have really came far in in having meaningful conversations within this working group and with other colleagues from, from other pharmaceutical companies, from FDA, from EMA. So I just want to make sure that we also recognize Pilar's contributions and her insight into this. Very good. Yeah. I, I really love that you took initiative and went to a organization outside of your company to drive that change. I think this is very often much easier to get consensus across the industry and they work together with the specialists, a medical organization as well, and clinical trial methodology organizations to move forward these kind of discussions. And as you said, multidisciplinary approaches are really key. So that is for sure one of the areas that helped you getting along. What were the biggest barriers that you see? Yes, truthfully, at the beginning, when we started, we didn't know where to start from. So it took a while to align our thoughts and, and put together the process. 
Uh, we didn't have, we had the addendum, uh, which we have discussed at length, but the addendum provides a framework and not necessarily the implementation process. Mm -hmm. um, also, we had the estimate jargon that we had to handle. We didn't necessarily have a common language of discussing with clinical colleagues. So naturally, we had through discussions to come towards that. We didn't have a template of how to implement this process. Uh, so we naturally thought that we should come up with a template to follow. Mm -hmm. um, so I think these were the barriers, uh, the necessarily lack of structured process of implementing. You know, what are the steps that we have to follow? What we should start from? Like we can discuss further, we have decided that the natural step to start from are recognizing the stakeholder or maybe the stakeholders, plural, for a trial. And then moving naturally from there step by steps. Um, yeah. So I think these were in general the barriers, initial you know, barriers when, when discussing the estimate from us with our clinical counterparts. How did you get the regulators on board with and, and get feedbacks there? Regulators are involved in this society. Mm -hmm. So we are very happy that the ICTM society allows us to interact with, with FDA, with EMA, and not only whatever it's interested. And actually they express interest of, of being involved in this discussion. And having medical reviewers involved in this discussion. In 2020, we also had at the spring meeting, a session on estimates in which we involved EMA and FDA medical reviewers in the discussion. And they have always been part of the discussion started with, with from the very beginning. Again, we like to emphasize that through our discussion, we promote a thinking process, a process in general, and that the examples that we have provided in the paper that has been published, this is exactly what they are, examples. So we don't necessarily, you know, promote a certain way of, of applying, of promoting an estimate, but we promote the thinking process that needs to be applied uh, in this area. Awesome. By the way, as you're listening to this episode, we'll, of course, put the link to the papers that Elena mentioned into the show notes. So just head over to theeffectivestatistician.com and you'll find everything there. In terms of this kind of how did you set at the beginning this kind of goal for this working group i think that is probably very difficult to describe you know if if you if people don't really know what are estimates what is kind of the, the framework how do you get, you get you know buy in to agree on a common goal for the for, for this working group so that everybody knows what is to achieve? Yeah. Everybody agreed that the estimate framework is a useful framework. Mm -hmm. But in the same time, we have all agreed that we like to have more guidance. Um, so over time, we have agreed that our main objective is to develop such as implementation process with very clear steps to provide examples in this process and to use depression as a disease area that will exemplify 
this process, but not necessarily as the ultimate goal. This is not a guidance for depression. This is process. It's a thinking process. It's really aligned to the ICG-9 expert working group thinking process that has been included in the training material. And depression, it's the disease area that has been used to, to provide examples from, from the reasons we have discussed. So I think that was our main goal, to provide a practical guide for study teams, for multidisciplinary study teams. And I think this has been made clear in the title of our paper. You know, you'll see there the practical guide for study teams and in our abstracts and in, uh, in how our main objectives has been, have been presented. Yeah. What I think is one of the key takeaways if people not work in CNS is that you can have a look into and use this pretty much like a blueprint to come up to a similar thing in other areas. Maybe exactly. you work in dermatology, or maybe you work in respiratory, or maybe you work in what other field. Yeah, You can use these kind of steps work together with a similar organization and also engage the regulators in a similar way. And so if you're really interested in driving this forward, I highly recommend having a look into this paper. If you think about the most important thing that any listener should take away from this episode, what would that be? Um. I think for statisticians, I will say that uh, they should take very seriously the implementation of the estimate framework. And because it can lead to really very meaningful discussions with not only with clinical colleagues, but also with other functions. They should understand the implementation process and they should take a lead in this process. However, they have to understand that they need partners and to be able to have and these partners, we need to be able to communicate with them in uh, using concise, natural, non-technical language. Um, so that's also a must. Um, so we hope that this paper provided many examples of how trial objectives can be formulated how questions of interest can be formulated in a non-technical, natural way, right? Using a language that everybody can relate to and understand. So I urge not only the statisticians, but also their partners to work towards understanding this process. And also, if they think they need any help to, to engage in the discussion, I believe this is a very active area. There are many, not only papers, but presentations, webinars across many institutions that they do wonderful work in this area. It's a wonderful area to, to collaborate with many partners that we can have. So that's why I think what we should definitely focus our uh, you know, future collaborations and, and endeavors in this area. Completely agree. So if your company is working in a specific therapeutic area where such a paper from Eleanor doesn't exist, I think it's time 
to get going so that you create these kind of case studies, you engage with all the different stakeholders because you want to do that as early as possible so that your study designs are driven by all these kind of different factors. And you don't you know, come to the submission and the discussions with regulators finding out that, ah, we should have collected something more in order to actually estimate these estimates. Because uh-huh. <laughs> if you haven't collected the right data in the right format, you will have problems with certain. If you have not right the right questions, yeah. right? Yeah. This, uh, this, uh, this is the most important thing, making sure that you ask the right questions. And these questions are aligned uh, and help the stakeholders of the trials that are being designed. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Thanks so much, Elena. That was an awesome discussion. And I really urge everybody to have a look into this paper. I can highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, thanks so much again. Thank you, Alexander. Again, it was a pleasure to chat with you. I hope you enjoyed this really insightful discussion with Elena. If you want to learn more about estimates, check out the course that I recorded together with Casper. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com, check for the courses, and you'll find all the courses of the Academy there. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and the team at VVS who helped with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Share this episode if you love it. Reach your potential, leak great science, and serve just be an effective statistician.